Yeah, yeah. No, it, it it was part of the prenuptials with my my wife. You know, it's a it's it's her responsibility to make me aware of my hygienic state. You are listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast, Episode Two, recorded Monday, March twenty first, twenty sixteen. Today we talk about the struggle of being a remote worker, general good hygiene, freedom of open source, and much more. Enjoy. Hey, Tom. Hey, how's it going, uh, Eric? Yes, wow. I'll get off to a good start. I know, I know, just off and running with it. Um, well, you want it to look like we're, we're impromptu. We weren't talking before this, so <coughs> if I can't remember your name. That's key. That's yeah, key. It's off the cuff. I, 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 uh, I learned a few... Uh, things i did wrong with with the last recording um episode one as you the know air episode one <laughs> as you know uh our, our normal editor didn't wasn't able to edit it and uh, actually i don't know if he'll have time to edit this one so i had absolutely no idea what i was doing and i decided to go ahead and give it a crack um i think it turned out okay but I forgot to add music to the end, so, it's like the, so it just the cuts off. It just ends. Yeah. Hopefully, people figure it out. I don't know. I think we say thanks at the end. We we do say thanks. I, I think we even say goodbye, but we didn't do like a wrap up of who we were or anything like that. But uh, right. I'll I'll do a better job. Better job this next recording. Ah, <clears throat> uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> So what what have you been up to? Are, are, is that is this our goal? Are we going to try to do this once a week, or what's the story here? We've we've talked about it a little bit, but I don't think we we have gotten a clear, definitive direction here. I wanted to go for once a week, but uh, you know, it, it's all a matter of schedules and what we can do, and you know, but once a week sounds like a sounds like a good plan for me. Okay, yeah, it works for me. Plan on the, I plan on doing some shameless self promoting at our user group meetup this uh this week. Excellent. I'll I'll leave that to you. You're you're good at the shamelessness. <laughs> so what's what's been going on this week? Anything uh anything interesting, any topics you want to talk about? Oh, working a lot. Um you know, I've been working I I've, I've been working from home now for uh a number of years. And there are days where definitely working from home has its uh has its drawbacks. Uh, yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> I've uh, I've been working from home probably for the last uh, three years, uh, about three or four years now, and where it definitely has its perks, uh, it has its struggles without without question. What what are some of the struggles you you deal with on a daily basis? Well, we're doing we're doing a big launch right now, uh, and. You know, whenever you're pushing a big amount of code, you're staying late in the office, except that now I'm already in my office from the earliest in the morning to the latest at night. So if something goes wrong, I'm the first person you can jump to to go jump on things and push out a new commit, get things working and fixed. And so I'm I'm getting emails at midnight now saying, oh, this sorting feature is not working. We don't know what to do. You know, can you, can you take care of this real quick first thing in the morning? And I'm like, oh, I'm already on my computer. Why not take care of it now? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely felt that, and and I still struggle with it. I mean, I was always, 
I always worked a lot. Even when I went into an office, I would come home and continue to work. Uh, but it's different when you're working from home because, yeah, that barrier is is gets very um, hard to to see on, on when you're working, when you're not working. And it's difficult for the family as well. The kids don't know. Oh, yeah. You know, is dad at work? Can I go talk to him? Can I ask him for a ride to a friend's house or is he not at work? I, I don't know. He's in his office. He's always in his office. What's he doing? So that, that's a struggle. Yeah, and you know, apparently, uh, when I'm sleeping, uh, if I, if someone tries to wake me up, I say, "Shut up! I'm I'm working." So they're really confused about when I'm working or not. <laughs> Which you know, stands to reason because a lot of times when you're at work, you're sleeping. Well, no, not anymore. No, I, I have. Wait, no, okay, that might be true. Now, okay, we have a we have a discussion list here, and you put on here good hygiene. That's you have an issue with good hygiene when working from home. Hey, you laugh, but uh, I didn't laugh. I was leaving it for the listeners to laugh. I was just stating it good like a straight hygiene, man. It, <laughs> <laughs> so you think it's funny, but I have had my little streaks where, Ooh. especially when you have big projects, you're working hard, you realize. You've gone a day or two without a shower. It's important to remember hygiene when you're working from home, um, especially if you don't get out often. Uh, you've got to remember, take a shower, brush your teeth, you know, just general good hygiene things. Are you, are you telling me you never go a, a little, maybe a little too long without uh, taking care of yourself? I, I almost exclusively go too long without taking care of myself. <laughs> so it's not even an, it's not even an issue for you. That's just the norm, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it it was part of the prenuptials with my my wife. You know, it's a it's it's her responsibility to make me aware of my hygienic state. <laughs> you know, it, it, she says to me every couple of days, "Honey, it, you need to take a shower." And I say, "Oh, okay. Yeah, it's that time." And you know, two days later, I do. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. It helps having the kids because you can you yell at the kids for smelling and you tell them ah, you need to take a shower, you stink, and then you walk into your room and you go, oh Jesus, how long is it? Good enough. I need to take. Maybe a that's me. I don't know. <laughs> are they are they following me around? <laughs> so you you have a remote office that you go to occasionally, but what's your home office setup? I mean. Are you are you in a bedroom? Are you in an office room, dedicated yeah, space? Yeah, I'm actually in a dedicated space, and I think that's important uh, when you talk about working from home. If if you're really working from home, if this is your career, um, you definitely need a dedicated space. It's it's difficult to to share a space. I actually had we had previously shared an office with my wife. My wife works from home as well, um, and she's on the computer, and we had shared a space, but. Even that kind of got a little claustrophobic, and and we seemed to be uh, kind of on top of each other, and so now that'll that'll take away from your work time if you're just on top of each other constantly. <laughs> so now we we actually each have our own space in the house. Uh, so I have my own office slash man cave, which I probably spend too much time in because I I have everything I have. You know, my pictures up, my television. So even when I'm not working, 
I'll sit in here with the dog and, and watch TV or something when I should probably get out and socialize with the family more. But I'm actually pretty proud of my office right now. <clears throat> I I just recently got it this past year and kind of built my desk, built shelves. I did everything by hand. And not that I'm good at it and not that it looks really well, but, you know, I got... Yeah, but the camera's not, camera's not pointing in that direction, <laughs> so you can tell us it looks it's wonderful. It's awesome. Um, it's a rich mahogany. Yeah. So I, uh, so I, I'm liking it, but, but yeah, and, and we do have, I mean, we have an office, uh, office I I can go into, um, as part of the, the company and, and we, we're mainly, you know, we do that for a couple of reasons. My partner, uh, utilizes it a lot, but he's probably going to be cutting back. Well, we know we're, we know if nothing else, we're moving out of the office that we're in just because. The rent's going up, and it's actually further away from both myself and my partner um, than it was previously because he, he had recently moved. So whether or not we even keep a remote office is a conversation we keep having. I see value in it. Um, I know customers like to meet in offices. It does seem more professional. Uh, when we Occasionally, we like to get the team together and, and code together, and we'll, we'll meet up at the office to do that. But we had previously done that um, before we got the office. We just meet up at coffee shops. So I don't know. Yeah, and there are, uh, you know, one-day rental solutions for offices as well. We we once did a uh, presentation at a location that hosted us that did sort of one-day offices. Yeah, and, so and, and that's that a is, potential that option. option. I, th- there, there are places where you can just go rent a conference room if it if it's you want to go meet with a client sort of thing. So Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about that, but I definitely take advantage of being remote. And I mean, even if I'm not at the office, I, I'll still work from a coffee shop uh, occasionally, uh, especially if I'm chauffeuring kids around and I have a kid that needs to be in the opposite end of town instead of dropping them off and coming back. I'll hang out there at a coffee shop and continue to work. That's one of the real nice things about our our career path here. Yeah. Now. You know, you, you said you've got a TV in there. Do you find that you're distracted too much? Or, how? I mean, how how efficiently do you think you're working in a, a home office environment that you've really customized to yourself like that? Yeah, you know, I, I don't really use the television that much. Um, and it's it's kind of set up in a way where it's difficult to watch when I'm on the computer. I, I sort of did that intentionally. And then I immediately wish I hadn't done it. And then when I'm trying to get work done, I'm glad I had done it. Um, so it, it really, it's the television is back behind me. So if I want to watch TV, I basically can't work. Uh, it's one or the other. So I, I rarely, I actually rarely use it. I mainly have it on during baseball season and there'll be more background noise and I'll turn around and see what the score mm-hmm. is. But yeah. How about you? What, what, what's yeah, your you setup know, like? I've got my, my office basically is just my desk that I've had for 10 years now in my bedroom mm-hmm. um and when i first started working from home everyone said you know oh don't don't have your office in your bedroom you're gonna want to just lay down in bed and take a nap and it's gonna be impossible to stay focused. i have never had any of these problems um you know for me it's a moral boundary for me it's when you're working you're working you know you're on somebody else's dime and if you believe that you're being as productive as you can be, then, then you're good. But if you're laying down, taking a nap, you know, that's, that's somebody else's money. You're just screwing with. 
and it, it's never it's never become an issue for me in the last three years or so now. Um, not to say that I'm not you know watching YouTube all day because YouTube is amazing background noise and background noise is essential for developing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where there's, you know, there's a, a website that just plays coffee shop ambient noise over your speakers while you program. I, I actually so you purchased that app. So you paid you paid money for the coffee shop experience without the That's coffee. Right, man. <laughs> I, I, and, and that was really one of those cases where uh, I was using the website, and when the developer actually created an application... I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll 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 throw this guy some a, a few bones. I mean, he he uh, yeah, I use a service. I I got no problem paying paying for things I use, uh, especially if I see value in them and supporting developers. Uh, so yeah, I, I went ahead. And I, I I tell you, I probably launched it maybe twice, but yeah. You see, actually, I did the opposite. Is I actually went to a coffee shop and pirated the sound of a coffee shop. <laughs> So I'm I, I don't know if that makes me You're a bad a person. person. I know. So this is interesting. Do you listen to podcasts? I used to listen to a lot of podcasts yeah. until I figured out until I figured out how you can build your own television channel from YouTube and watch video forever and ever mm-hmm. and ever. Um, especially you know, just talking, people talking, talking. I think a. I take the dog for a walk, take it to the park, and that's kind of my podcast time, right? I, I usually have a solid hour, hour and a half, and I can get in a show or two there. So it's it's nice. I, I have my – and it's such a great time to be a developer. Uh, there's so many good podcasts out there. And I notice occasionally these podcasts seem to run with uh, common topics, and one of the common topics, uh, the, the last one I listened to was the Loosely Coupled podcast with Matt Frost and, oh man, I forget his partner's name, but uh, they were talking about uh, project management, or project managers, mm. and they had a they have a whole show on it, uh, you know, it's worth a listen to, but it got me thinking, it's like, and we're talking about work, working remote, and I think one of the caveats with working remote is... Uh, your your career path isn't as well defined. And I think it happens a lot with developers. So one of the things that was brought up in these podcasts, and I think Matt was actually one of them that brought it up, was it always seems like the goal of, when you, when you go to work for a company as a developer, um, your goal is typically to move into a project manager's role. It's never to... The, the, that company right. never has a career path to make you a better developer. It has a career path to make you not a developer anymore, but a project manager. <laughs> right. And, you know, I would say that after 10 years of working as a developer, uh, I had the first ever person ask me, uh, hey, what, where do you want to be in five years? Oh, yeah? And, yeah. And... And I went, well, I want to be programming. And he said, well, no, I mean, you know, you work at this company and we're going to try and position things so that you're in the place where you want to be in five years. So where is that? And I said, well, I don't know. I've just been programming for, for 10 years. What am I supposed to right. do? It's not a bad and, thing that I just want to be, I want to still be a programmer. I just want to be a better programmer. Right. 
And that's where I ended up on, is I ended up on, on saying, I don't want to be a project manager. I don't want to stop coding so that I can tell other people they're coding wrong or that they need to code something specific. You know, I have no problem with, with working with a team and guiding a team in a specific direction, but I want to be working with the team. I don't want to be working away from the right. team. Um, and, and there aren't a lot of positions in software development that, that feed that. You know, there's lead developer, but that is the ceiling yeah. there. Um, you know, the, fortunately, the company I work for now, the, the CTO is very involved in the day-to-day -day programming. He's, he's able to create the environment that works well for him as a programmer. So I think that that might be shifting. You might be seeing different positions coming up that allow for a sort of a guru-level programmer to be doing day-to-day -day programming as well as doing management tasks that they are okay with doing. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you there. I mean, or, or at very least, it's something I would like to see. It's just, it, it's always been such an odd thing that you have upper management that, that come that will come to you and say, hey, you're so good at being a developer. We want you to stop doing that now and, and you know, right. sprinkle your magic dust over these developers and make them as good as you are. It's like, yeah, it doesn't exactly work like that. Yeah, you know, I've I've had plenty of people that I worked with whose interest <clears throat> had had stopped way before that. They they didn't even want to be a good developer. Right. They were making they were making enough money at 25 years old that they said, "Well, I'll just do this for the rest of time." And, you know, when 5 o'clock came around and everyone is in emergency mode, they said, "Well, I, sorry guys, I got to go. I've got a baseball game to play." And they'd go play pickup baseball. And I, I really looked down on that for a while where I was like, this, come on, this guy has no passion for what he's doing. He's just dropping whatever he's doing, whatever it's time that could, you know, to, to go home. But then I started looking, I'm like, well, the, he knows exactly what he wants. I don't know exactly what I want. So he's, he isn't going to get promoted, but he also doesn't care. So let me ask this then. <clears throat> as a remote developer, and let, let's even take it a step further, as as a remote developer who doesn't strive to become some sort of manager, what do you, what would be your recommendation for career objectives, career goals, and how to kind of let their, let their managers know what it is they want and help them achieve it? You know, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, working at home, you get forgotten about really, really easily. Uh, you know, uh, you're not in contact with the rest of the office. The, the people above your boss don't see you at all whatsoever. Uh, so it can, it can really hurt your career working from home. Um, you know, if you're trying to climb the ladder quickly, working from home is the exact opposite direction you want to go. Um, but you can also make sure that you maintain, you know, weekly communications with people who are, uh, higher up than you make sure that people are being sort of constantly reminded of the work that you're providing and the quality of the work that yeah, you're doing. I mean is there anything you and, do to, to kind of keep that visibility well I you know working with the uh, the meetups and the podcast that we're doing now is kind of my way of making myself visible from within my own bedroom mm -hmm. you know uh, I'm with the community uh, once a month or so or more than once a month now and you know, presenting what we know as if we were authorities on the topic. <laughs> Suckers. Sucker. Uh, no one even knows yet. <laughs> it's, 
you have to find the ways that you're comfortable making yourself visible and you have to make sure that you keep up on them and, and especially make sure that your family knows that that's what you're doing. That, you know, when, when I have a, a meetup to go to, it's a social event that I'm doing both socially and as part of my career path. Uh, and so it it has to be clear to my family that, yes, I'm going to hang out with a bunch of guys who do programming, a bunch of guys and girls that do programming, but it's also part of the work that I do. It's part of how my income is made. And that, you know, my, my income in the next 10, 15, 20 years is going to be based off of the communications, the connections I make at these meetups and doing these podcasts and, and writing blogs and things like that. Totally agree with you. So you had a card in here. I don't want to to be the boss. I don't want to be. Yeah, that's and that's exactly it. Is that I didn't want to be the guy who was told you have to fire this person or you have to evaluate this person's performance uh, or judge them worthy or unworthy. You know, uh, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to say, "Hey, you're coming into work too late," because I personally love coming into work late. <laughs> You know, who, who am I to judge? If someone needs help with code, I'd love to help them with their code. If we're doing code reviews, I'd love to be constructive and, you know, help them out. But I don't want to tell somebody that what they're doing just isn't cutting it for employment. <laughs> what a ridiculous thing for me to say. <laughs> what else do we have to talk about here? So we had some, uh, we had some geek news th- this past week, right? Cloudflare had a little denial of service. So okay, Cloudflare hosts a lot of things. What what do they host here? Well, Laravel, the Laravel.com site was big, and I know because of the, the circles we we hang out in, or I hang out in, that the initial thought was, oh, this is a denial of service against Laravel, Laravel.com. But the reality of it is, I don't think that was it. And yeah, it doesn't appear to have been it yeah, actually. I, I actually heard um, what I had heard is that. Uh, a lot of uh, Trump's campaign stuff is hosted through Cloudflare, and um, mm. there's some speculation that that's a, that was the actual target, which just ended up bringing down Cloudflare's entire. And, and it's funny because I I thought, and I might be completely wrong on this, but I thought that was what Cloudflare was marketed as as anti. Yeah, they are like they are an anti DDoS redundancy system. But, I mean, you can only protect yourself from so much. There, there really is an upper limit. That stuff's got to hurt from a marketing perspective. Yeah. Well, and it, it brings up a good point, too, because we, we also saw an outage today with GitHub. That's true. We, we did. And do, we know, do we know what caused that? Uh, you know, I'm not sure what caused it yet, but I do know that if you were working on something that needed to pull code, uh, you couldn't. You were, you were SOL, and that was that. And it brings up the issue that, you know, we're reliant now on a lot of services that can bring business to a grinding halt if they go yeah. down. You know, our our day-to-day systems that take money in, we've got lots and lots of redundancy on. You know, we've got sharded, redundant, mirrored servers everywhere. And it's hard to bring that kind of stuff down. But when a service that we rely on, which is a single point of failure, goes down, then your development team crashes with it um you know and for for the laravel website you know it's just hosting a lot of documentation that everyone wants to get access to and if you couldn't look up that documentation for a few minutes it wasn't that big of a deal um 
But at the same time, it wouldn't have been that big a deal to completely download the website, to just do a, a fetch of all the HTML and have it backed up somewhere locally so you could pull it up if you needed to look something up. Uh, GitHub, a different kind of problem. Yeah, yeah, GitHub's a different type of problem, but I, I, I think GitHub, you know, I know that has been brought up a lot as a a risk when companies talk about deployment strategies, and, and it is a risk, but it's really, in my opinion, it should typically be a fairly temporary risk, right? Because there are a lot of solutions that can replace GitHub. I mean, GitHub isn't an end-all, be-all of... Uh, version control storage. It's just one of the better, easier ones to implement. Um, but there's tons sure. out there that that can be done. So if your business, you know, re- relies on some sort of, you know, repo deployment, as long as as long as the ones that you have control over. Now, where this becomes complicated, you know, you're using something like Composer or npm install. And you you don't have control over where all the repos are, and GitHub goes down, and you don't know where those repos are going and how how to get connected back to them. So that becomes a problem. But yeah, and you know, I, I say before you delete your vendor directory, make sure that GitHub is <laughs> up right. because you, once you delete it, you're not going to get it back. But from a company's perspective, your your own code. I I mean, you, you probably have redundant copies of it on every developer's box. So if you have if you have to establish sure. another repo on another service or spin up your own service, it should be there. Yeah, it's it's recoverable. But then you also have an issue like you have companies, rather large companies, that are hosting their uh, API code on GitHub, and the the question is begged: Should companies be hosting their publicly available code on GitHub? Uh, you can you can host your own GitLab's repository on a your own server somewhere. Is that a safer thing to do? Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it because I mean, I mean, it, you know, part of the aspect of GitHub is the community aspect, and everybody knows where to go to to get these repos. I just I fear the day when the the EMP bomb goes off and we lose chunks of internet suddenly. How am I supposed to develop then? I ask you. When when Texas goes missing, where is my World of Warcraft server hosted? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I, I don't have an easy answer for you, my friend. Okay, so I listened to the Laravel podcast. It, it was released today. or Today or yesterday. I think it was today. today. What are we at? March 21st. So I think it was released today. It's actually one of the podcasts I, I'll jump on as soon as I see it. They talked a lot about Spark and Taylor's decision to to charge for it. We, we talked about this a little bit in the last podcast, right? Our first podcast. Yeah, did they steal it from us? Did they just listen to our pod? Oh, wait, no, we didn't release our podcast. No, so it's released. Done that. Our podcast is released. Okay, so they did just straight up steal our, co- our, our talking points. I'm going to go with that. That's that, okay. That makes me feel better, yeah. yeah. That's okay. um, but they, they, started, they started this, and, and I've heard this conversation come up a lot uh, around Taylor's decision to charge for Spark, but it, it spawned this whole discussion about how Everybody thinks that open source, uh, everything in open source should be free. And as an open source advocate myself, I, I kind of crawl on my skin a little bit because I'm like, yeah, you guys are, when you say it like that, you're as bad as the people who are ignorant towards open source. And, and these are people, I mean, Taylor, 
Jeffrey, these are people involved in open source projects and should have a better understanding. When you say everything in open source needs to be free, that's actually 100% correct. It needs to be free as in free speech. That's what open source is. Right, not free as in this delicious Lagunitas free beer that I'm currently exactly. drinking. Exactly, and, and I understand the confusion, um, but when you have core open source project contributors who keep harping and keep making that connection of free meaning compensation, it's like, yeah, no, <laughs> that's it is. You gotta gotta remember, it is important that it stays free. But you can still charge for it. <laughs> I mean, you can make and, right. and yeah, that that's where I just I wish there was a better way of describing it to people. Well, I, I have a real simple example for you: is that the encryption algorithms that we currently use are free, but if you need to buy an encryption software package, they're allowed to charge for it. Now, they, they, they cannot charge you for the encryption algorithm. They are charging you for the software and possibly hardware around it. In that same way, the, the freeness of it is what gives it that security. The free open source nature of it is what gives it the trust that the community needs and likes. Uh, but to, to give somebody money for doing something with free software is what we do for a living. It would be ridiculous to say that it should be free because then you're broke too. I have a tendency, and I think I had expressed this when we were talking about Spark, is when we're talking about the free aspect of it, one of the things I was referring to is I'm really concerned about what license he releases it under because you know, I wanted to make... Right, right. Is it going to be closed Exactly. Source? And I mentally struggle to remember that there's always this big concern about monetating cost and when I talk about open source and freedom free I talk about open source and freedom most of the time so because right. again I make my living off open source I make my living off free software Vim uh, Linux Nginx Apache uh, MariaDB I mean you, you name it I make a living off it well P P PHP might be one PHP, you want to list on Laravel, that Laravel <laughs> right? I mean, all of it. And everything I do with it, I charge. Now, whether or not the stuff I build with it, my clients are comfortable releasing it or not, that's obviously under their control, not my control. But but I charge for it to build that for them. So so I, I'm completely on board getting paid with, within the open source ecosystem. And there is there is one there. <laughs> But um, yeah, and and that that brings up what the real value of the free as in speech in open source means, which is we trust and put faith in the code that's being produced. Uh, you know, we we know the Linux kernel is strong and secure because we see every commit coming into it. You know, you and I aren't the ones looking at it, but we trust that the people who are looking at these things are authorities. It's the same way that we trust astrophysicists. I, I know I don't understand redshift over radio band telescopes, but I, I kind of do, but <laughs> humble brag. But I, I know that there are authorities on the subject and that they have superiors and they have subordinates who trust them and have reason to trust them and open source creates that same chain of authority 
where you can say, yeah, someone who knows better than me is saying this guy's on the level, so I can trust him. Uh, and with closed source, you know, we've sort of forgotten that we don't trust closed source. Yeah. Uh, stuff like Windows backdoor keys, or, I mean, even the iPhone encryption scandal with the NSA right now. A lot of people said, oh, wait a second, the NSA or the FBI couldn't just automatically decrypt your iPhone? I had I had just figured they could. Mm-hmm. And it's like, of course we had just figured that they could because it's not open source. We we sort of automatically figure that anything that's not open source is just, you know, insecure fundamentally. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I wouldn't say that that's wrong. I wouldn't say that that's, that's an invalid belief because I have that belief for a lot of things that, that aren't well, open source. And a, and a perfect example for me of this, again, run a small development group. And we're heavily entrenched in Slack now. Um, we we have so many different feeds coming into Slack. We have channels for all of our projects. All of our developers are in there, different projects all day long. A lot of conversation goes back and forth. Uh, you and I manage this podcast through that Slack interface. I have absolutely no visibility to Slack's development or Slack's code or any of that. It's a service to me. It fits my need right now, but I've already started to explore open source alternatives because I know there's going to be a day where I need more control over that environment. I need more security. I need to make sure that, you know, how, how that, how that is being handled is, is best practices and where a, a solution like Slack can get off to such a great start if it doesn't have that transparency and it continues to stay this closed source solution, it's going to lose its momentum. It's going to develop vulnerabilities and holes in it that are just waiting to be exploited. Whereas that's where open source projects, the longer they go, the stronger they have the tendency to be and the more visibility and, and more acceptance you get. So I, I've already started exploring things like Mattermost and Rocket Chat and a few of these other uh, Slack clones, and they're straight-up clones, and I, I've got no issue with that because Slack is exactly the standard that I'm I'm looking to replace. Um, yeah, and, you know, along those same lines, there there isn't really a reason, in my opinion, my humble opinion, for, for Slack not to be open source because when I look at what we're paying for, we're paying for a hosted yeah. service. That's, that's exactly and, correct, yeah. You know, I don't want to host the Slack system on my own server. So even if it were 100% open source, if they had a buy button on the homepage, it said, we put it on a server and you see the server shard and everything runs on that and you just don't have to worry about it, I'd still be inclined to pay for the service the Mm -hmm. same way, except that I would know that the client is stronger, more secure, and I don't need to go out and get a clone that I'll run on my own server for that reason. You know, there, there's there's not really a good reason for them not to open source that software. Yeah, I, I've always struggled with that. I, but again, I, what do I know? <laughs> so, we got a meetup this week. We do. We have a meetup coming up. Yeah, this week. a meetup. A meetup I'm not speaking at this week, which you is speak at all of them. Because I, I have well, no, I'm not the presenter. I thoroughly, thoroughly a uh, bit bit too much off. For the last your last presentation was good. So, so for those who didn't catch Thomas's San Diego PHP presentation, he he 
tragic. He, he went outside his uh, comfort zone a little bit, although, albeit, he didn't realize how far outside his comfort zone until he looked into it. And I thought you did a great presentation on uh, on. Well, thank you. <laughs> now, is that that's not considered? Is that considered Zen's micro framework, or what was what? It is. It is a skeleton framework for PSR eight, PSR seven. Sorry. And it, what was it called again? Expressive. Expressive. Yeah. But and, somehow I had that know, associated the, the, with Zen. Is that not associated with Zen? It is. No, it is their oh, okay. product. Um, it's not the first uh, PSR seven middleware framework, um, but it is since it's coming from Zen, the most you know, visible in the PHP community. Um, and PSR7 is just a very complicated thing at its core. Uh, <clears throat> it means developing in a way that PHP developers aren't used to developing. And <clears throat> I did not properly understand it when entering into the conversation. So, <laughs> well, I, I, I thought you did a good job. I, I thought you did a really good job. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this week. Uh, we we have uh, what is the sanitization and uh, validation, right? Yes, we have two excellent speakers yeah, this so week. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we talked a little bit last last week about the benefit of user groups, right? I mean, we're we're both kind of on the same page with that. Yeah, you know, uh, I I think user groups. I mean, like like I said earlier, even in this podcast, is user groups are part of my job for me. Uh, I really, really enjoy doing them, but they are also part of how I am presenting myself as a developer to the developer public. I, I think I went into my first user group, what, five years ago now, sort of saying, I want to see what this is about, and then saying, oh, this is fun, and then saying, oh, I can actually improve my standing in the community by continuing to do this work. Well, now, was that the PHP one? That was the PHP one. SDPHP, SDPHP.org. Really? Wow. Couldn't have been five years ago, though, right? Cause it's really it's, it's pushing five years oh, now. Has it been that long? Do you, hey, do you realize uh, April 1st was our first Laravel meetup last year? Really? So we're already pushing a year on our, we're, our Laravel meetup. We're pushing meetups, a year then. on our Laravel meetup. And it was funny because in, if you look in meetup, I have a joke meetup to publish on April 1st that I had originally had planned for... April of last year, I had written it up and figured I wasn't going to publish it because I didn't want people thinking that the Laravel meetup was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know, a year later, it's a total it is joke. A joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's but a bunch of people in a room going, mm, Laravel, mm, yeah, yeah, mm, no, eloquence, great, yeah. Let's keep using it. Facades. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, jokes on us! So we're new to this podcasting thing. Uh, like I said, I I got episode one up on SoundCloud. Uh, I did submit a request to Apple to add us to iTunes. Uh, I don't know what that process is like or how long it takes, but yeah, it was an it was an oddly personally insulting reply from them. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed very detailed, actually. I, yeah. I I didn't expect an email from the CEO, and I didn't even know he knew who my mother was, but apparently they've met. 
so hopefully we hopefully we get accepted i i imagine we, we need a few shows before i'm sure they don't like everybody who releases one show they say okay yeah shit put them on itunes who cares ah damn it i said shit now we're gonna get the explicit oh, yeah, now okay explicit tag thank you very much well, tried have to edit fucking... that out two two fucking hours we've gone without oh, wheels are coming off now jesus <laughs> I'm deep into my second beer. <laughs> All right. So we'll be up on iTunes. We'll end up there uh, at some point soon. If you're hearing this on iTunes, yay, congratulations Welcome. to us, I guess. Uh, are we are we taking sponsorships too? We could take a sponsorship from like Atlasin. I I heard about an ad for Atlasin on NPR today. What is that? And I just sort of, Atlasin is like a developer tool set manufacturer. They I'm not familiar with that. I know DigitalOcean. Every every podcast I listen to is either sponsored has DigitalOcean as a sponsor or Laracast as a sponsor. Now, Atlasin is the uh, Jira, HipChat, Bitbucket, Confluence people. Oh, they're they're purely developer stuff, and they were advertising on NPR, and I just really? sort of thought, well, huh, <laughs> that's weird. yeah. Uh, what programmers are listening to NPR? And then I realized I'm listening to NPR. <laughs> Dork. Not a, not a smart I, I man. Feel, you listen to NPR. John listens to NPR. I feel like such a, a caveman for not getting into NPR. I, well, hey, no. That's only one of the things that makes you a caveman. <laughs> you also like hitting me. I, I do enjoy is, hitting you. Yeah. It is an endearing personal trait. <laughs> I always feel bad after I do it, you know. I send flowers. <laughs> to my wife. I don't know why you're still sending flowers to my wife. That's uh, what can I say? I'm a sweet guy. Thomas. I'm I'm out of ideas. Yeah, I'm out of ideas. I got nothing else to talk about. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go play some uh some of the Witcher and some Rocket League. I thank you very much for listening. This has been uh, PHP Ugly. Bye, Felicia. Thank you for listening to the PHP Ugly podcast. PHP Ugly can be found on Twitter at PHP Ugly. You can also follow the host, Tom Rideout, on Twitter at Real Rideout. And myself, Eric Van Johnson, on Twitter at Showcom. That's spelled S-H-O-C-M. See you next week. <laughs>